Podcastle, episode 101, for April 27th, 2010. Kristen with Caprice, by Alan Smale. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Kristen with Caprice, by Alan Smale. The story originally appeared in Realms of Fantasy in August 2003. To prepare you for today's story, I'm going to lay a few interesting facts about goats on you. Goats are one of the oldest domesticated species, and there are over 300 distinct breeds. If you've ever spent any time around them, there are probably two things you remember. One, their smell, and two, their intensely creepy eyes. Instead of a circle, their pupil is kind of a narrow rectangular slit, which serves to increase their peripheral depth perception. But did you know that cattle, deer, and most horses, and many sheep as well, also have the same kind of pupil? We just don't notice it in those animals because they tend to have dark irises, and goats generally have very light irises. Fascinating, huh? And also, is it true that goats will eat anything? Well, no. Apparently, they won't eat tin cans or cardboard. So why do you see so many pictures of hillbilly goats wearing straw hats and chewing on tin cans? Well, some say it's because they're trying to eat the label glue, but in my opinion, it's because there's nothing funnier than a goat wearing a hat. Alan Smale writes fantasy and horror, alternate and twisted history, urban fantasy and slipstream, with two dozen stories published in speculative fiction magazines and original anthologies. Born and raised in England, he lives in Maryland and works as an astrophysicist and data archive manager at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. In what is humorously referred to as his spare time, he sings bass and serves as business manager for high-energy vocal band The Chromatics, and performs occasionally in community theater. The story is read by Norm Sherman, a musician, voice actor, and amateur cryptozoologist operating out of Baltimore, Maryland. He's the host and producer of The Drabblecast, a weekly flash fiction audio magazine featuring strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners. Check them out at drabblecast.org. And enjoy the story. Kristen with Caprice by Alan Smale He did not ring the bell. Strange enough to have to knock on his own front door when the key was in his pocket. He heard a strange, bleating sound from within, quickly suppressed, then footsteps, and his heart began to thump a little harder. Kristen opened the door and stared at him. Her hair was in a bandana, and she wore an old softball t-shirt. Around her eyes were traces of yesterday's makeup. House cleaning, then scrubbing away the last of him. She looked so gorgeous he wanted to cry. I came for my things, he said. If you'd called, I could have been out. She stood aside to let him in, reluctantly. That's not necessary, said Paul. You don't have to do that. You look great. Yes, it is, she replied. Yes, I do. Uh, No, I really don't. Your stuff's in the spare. She walked into the kitchen, and he heard the strange squeal again. Perhaps the sound of a sponge against the inside of the oven? His apartment, not his any longer, was a living room plus a separate kitchen, a main bedroom and a spare room, and a bathroom. Twelve hundred square feet, yet when he'd shared it with Kristen, it had not been too small. 
not until the ice age of their final month. Much of the living room furniture was new. The beanbag chair with the tassels was particularly unnerving. He'd told her she could keep his furniture, and she'd moved it out anyway. He didn't see a single lamp, CD, or knick-knack that was his. In fact, it seemed that in expunging him, she'd taken the opportunity to clear out a load of her own junk, too. The room looked spare and healthy and female, and Paul was an alien here. He did not linger. The spare room held seven large cardboard boxes, an empty bookcase, and a litter box. On the top of the pile of boxes was a seven-page inventory. She'd packed his books and DVDs, his clothes and magazines, and neatly cataloged everything to make sure he wouldn't stay long. But the litter box confused him. They both had allergies. He reordered the box in a line from heaviest to lightest and moved the first, second, and third boxes from the spare bedroom to just inside the front door. When he turned back from setting the third box precariously on top of its fellows, he found a small, white goat peering at him from the kitchen doorway. Yeah, he said. Then, more moderately, Um, Kristen? Goat! Goat! Oh, don't let her out! came Kristen's voice from the kitchen. She's not an outdoor goat, said the goat and trotted towards him. It was truly tiny, one foot high at the shoulder with a long, perfect white coat. It was the smallest goat Paul had ever seen. Its neat little white beard gave it an air of sagacity, quite at odds with its frisky body language. It had piercing blue eyes. Kristen appeared in the doorway behind it, wiping the sweat from her temples and neck with the bandana. Paul wanted to leap over the goat and scoop her up, caress away the sweat, rub her back, cry her a river, kiss her into tomorrow, steal the bandana, and keep it on his pillow. He'd had this meeting planned all week, knew exactly how he'd pitch his beg for forgiveness, do anything for another chance, not cling so hard, set her free, allow her complete independence, just as long as she'd let him back into her life. He'd run the speech twenty times, and he knew how to serve it with the compelling gumbo of pathos, sincerity, and self-deprecating wit that had convinced her to move in with him in the first place. But the goat was truly freaking him out. Um, Kristen, he said, let's try again. It doesn't have to end like this. We were so good together. Lameness muted him. None of that had been in the script, and Kristen just gaped at him, like he was the Unabomber. <coughs> said the goat, and a moment later he heard an echo as a second minuscule goat sauntered out of there, Kristen's bedroom, and stared at him as intently as the first. Goat, said Paul. Wait, I, I didn't stop, said Kristen, both hands held up in front of her, bandana still clasped in one of them. Paul, I know you're still clinging to the wreckage, nursing some hope, but really, no. We've talked and there's nothing more to say. You're a fading memory. I'm done. Moved on. It's time to go on with our lives. And I'll need the key back from you. But it's my key, he said stupidly. It's my apartment. You didn't want to live here any longer. We changed the lease. That was true. Living here without her would have eviscerated him slowly. 
He fumbled for something to say. So, then, you have goats now? Yes, I do. Um, is that legal? Are they spayed? Neutered? Did you, did you spay a goat? Paul, that's none of your concern. No, no, he said. Of course not. The nearest goat was so small and skinny that when it twitched its head it looked almost like a lizard. It was clearly intrigued by him, unlike the second goat, which was engaged in a cheerful contest with the tassels on Kristen's beanbag chair. Uh, what are their names? She sighed. Paul, I've put most of you out of my mind, but I do recollect what stalling sounds like. Uh, right you are, he said. The first box took up more space in his Honda than he'd expected. He spent a while moving the toolbox, jack, and beer around in the trunk to set up the most amenable configuration for the other boxes. He might have to unpack the clothes box and stuff its contents in around the rest. The last thing he wanted to do was make another trip. Kristen would scornfully identify that as a craven subterfuge, even if it wasn't. Her front door was closed again. A little bloody-mindedly, he used his key to open it. Kristen was sitting in the beanbag chair, unusually upright, staring at him wide-eyed. A tiny goat rubbed its head on her knee. I, I didn't mean to startle you, he said. You didn't, not really. It's just odd to see a man let himself in through my door. A man? <laughs> I'm not just anyone. Oh, too defensive. Bzzzt. Shouldn't have said that. Should have had a witty comeback. He turned to pick up the second box and found a white goat posing atop it as if auditioning for the sound of music. Goat, he said. Oh, sorry. Mark's deducted for repetition. The goat sprang to the floor with some agility, danced away three steps, turned to face him. Can't catch me. Paul took the second box to the car. This time, Kristen was holding the door open on his return, bandana thrust casually into her jeans pocket. He looked yearningly into her eyes, breathed in her warm aura, kept his hands firmly by his sides. Third box to the car. This one went in the back seat. He could probably fit the smallest one from the spare room into the trunk with the other two and stack the remaining three in the rear seat. Failing that, he could always put the last box in the front seat and lock it in place with the belt. Perhaps this would work after all. Kristen's door was closed again. He stared at the doorbell for ninety seconds and then took out his key again. She wasn't in the living room. The goats bleated at him and skipped flirtatiously. He knelt to take a closer look. The nearest was the slightly less skinny one that had peeked out of the bedroom. Its fur was so fine that patting it was like touching air. It didn't smell bad. Its intelligent blue eyes pulled out his innermost thoughts and munched on them meditatively. He scratched it behind the ears, and just out of his reach, the truly skinny goat bleated in jealousy. Paul, he straightened guiltily. None of my concern, I know. I was just curious. It came up to me. It's a she. Both of them are. Uh, all right. Parsley and sage. Pardon? Kristen stuck out her finger. The skinny goat studied it narrowly. Parsley? 
She pointed to the one at his feet. Sage. Hence the sagacity. He touched the peak of an imaginary cap and nodded solemnly to the goats. Uh, pleasure's mine. Kristen and Sage eyed each other. Then the human female came back over to sit cross-legged in the beanbag chair, and the animal trotted up for strokies. Paul did not dare to breathe in case he frightened either of them away. Timid Parsley now nuzzled his ankle, and he squatted on his heels to pet her. He was painfully aware of Kristen's proximity, of her smell, of how far apart her knees were, of her messed-up hair. But the goat hair under his fingers soothed him and took away the sting. They're a new breed, said Kristen. Miniature, housebroken, smarter than your average goat, trained not to eat your clothes, houseplants, garbage, or shoes. Unless you want them to, of course. Kristen had never been a pet person. Now she'd replaced him with a brace of she-goats. It should have been another crater in Paul's multiple blasted heart. But he was already over it. They're a little magical, she added. Yes, they are. He was impressed by their affection and their domesticity, cat-smart and dog-loyal in an Angora package. No, I mean really. They're on loan from my aunt to keep me company for a few weeks. She says that nothing fixes you up quite like a four-legged friend. That would be the Pennsylvania aunt with the hexes on the barn, who never used the telephone. Her homemade bread was to die for. Paul and Kristen would have stayed with her more often if it wasn't for the cat allergies. Oh, he said. The ant lived alone in an old farmhouse, but Paul didn't recall any cows or sheep or any other real farm animals nearby. She liked you, said Kristen, mistaking the tone of his oh. She was just a little cautious around you. She didn't know what a systems analyst was, so I could never convince her that you weren't some kind of shrink. Goats, he said, still getting used to the word. She says they're my spirit animal. Batty old witch. He grinned, feeling the atmosphere lighten up. Yeah, I suppose they are. Birth year 1967, the year of the goat. You have a sparkling personality and inspire loyalty in all who know you. Uh, creative and capricious. Marry a rat or a rabbit late in life. Avoid the boar. Or something like that. I went to see her, said Kristen thoughtfully. After you left... I cried and cried. That I do remember. Reality blinked. You cried? She looked at him with uncertainty. He'd been making a fuss of parsley for more than a minute, and he still didn't feel any tickling in his nose. Possibly the only quadruped he wasn't allergic to. Kristen had cried? His imagination swerved to avoid the concept. Um, do these shed? Minimally, I brush them daily. They seem hungry. What do they eat? They're goats, Paul. They eat just about anything I have too much of. She and Sage touched noses. Silly kitty, why did we split up? Huh? You and I, or, or you two? She looked at the goat, and the goat looked at her, as if to say, Men. Then Kristen looked at Paul. You, Einstein, we split up because... He reached out a shaky hand. Parsley was still there at his fingertips to calm him. Are, are you... are you kidding? Was that a pun? What? I was reading my journal last night. Always a journal, never a diary. 
It seems we went to the folk fest, you and I. When it got dark, you wanted to leave. I wanted to stay. I was furious, and we argued. And for me, that was when it all began to end. That was when I started falling out of love with you. Apparently. His heart ached. His mind reeled. Wow. Paul? He searched for solidity, but found only a goat. So long ago. That was last June. But Kristen, I'm the one who likes folk music. I'm the one who knows all the groups. You only came along with me in the first place to keep the peace. Exactly, Paul. That was the whole point. It was no use. He couldn't make head or tail of it. Why are we talking about last June? Kristen picked up Sage, pointing the goat at him like a weapon. Sage blinked gormlessly, spoiling the effect. Because that was the turning point. It seemed important in the journal, and I want to understand why I would get so angry over something like that. With some difficulty, Paul regrouped, realizing this nutty conversation might actually work in his favor, in terms of his original mission here today. He could now easily launch into his plea for forgiveness. But somehow, the more he played with Parsley, the more his mood shifted from that intent. She'd already made it crystal clear that she wouldn't take him back, so why make a spectacle of himself? He shrugged. Well, guess what, Kristen? It never made an ounce of sense to me either. He'd handed her a cue to wrap up the conversation, yet she said, You still haven't told me why we split up. Kristen, in your own words. Now he felt trapped. Why? Are you wearing a wire? Should I confess to dire deeds for the FBI guys in the black van? You're funny, said Kristen in the same tone of voice that she might have said, A new Starbucks opened by my office. Parsley pushed her head into his hand. He'd momentarily stopped scratching her neck. As Paul stroked her, he searched his memory for the right words. If this was to be the very last eulogy of their relationship, if Kristen was having trouble sorting it all out, he wanted to be honest with her. He owed her that. And after all, it was rather simple. Okay, as I understand it, I was cramping you, making you something you weren't. I wouldn't let go, wouldn't set you free. You just wanted to be alone again. Hmm she said. Well, freedom is important. Paul hesitated. Is that what it says in your diary? That's none of your business. Of course. He stood up, incurring the protests of a silky white goat. Okay, box number four. It says... He froze. She sighed, shook her head. What it says is, I just want to drive my own bus like Sandra Bullock, only more slowly and without the bomb, and without Keanu Reeves screaming at me. <coughs> said Sage. I'm not kidding, said Kristen with a perplexed frown. It's like all I ever wanted was to slow down and choose my own turns. I never... Both goats stared at him. He stared back. Your diary says I'm Keanu Reeves? It's a journal! She shouted in exasperation. Once and for all time, Paul, the thing is a freaking journal, okay? The dust motes hung unmoving in the light from the window for a single leisurely moment. And then Paul cracked up. 
His howls of laughter sent the goats scurrying for the safety of the bedroom. Kristen glowered belligerently at him, and then her lips started to twitch. She held the laugh off for another two breaths, and then gave in to it. She had a joyous laugh. <laughs> you are a trip, he said eventually. Well, I need to get out of here. What? I'm glad that we're parting friends. Thanks for not making this too heavy. I do appreciate it. You're welcome, she said, nibbling on her lower lip. Paul walked into the spare room, looked at the litter box, and walked out again. Wait, that little speech, clinging to the wreckage, nursing some hope, time to move on, that, that was from your journal too, wasn't it? That's none, you don't remember me at all, do you? What the heck did you do, Kristen? Drop acid? See a hypnotist? She squinted up at him. You know, Keanu, you're really not what I was expecting. Whatever. He should have cared more that she'd managed to put him out of her mind so completely, but he, too, found himself looking at her with fresh eyes. The sting of the old arguments, the mental scabs over old wounds, seemed less important to him than his impressions of her here, today, now. Kristen was quirky and attractive, elusive, intriguing. He wondered how it would be to walk with her along a deserted beach at sunset, whether she liked having her back scratched, whether she preferred to cook or clean up. His head was starting to ache. He should have known that sooner or later he'd start reacting to the damned goats. They'd probably have him sneezing and snoring for days. I, I gotta go, said Paul. And without thinking about it, he leaned forward and kissed her. A sociable peck, not a pass. But she didn't flinch, and her lips moved momentarily beneath his. He felt the tiny down on her upper lip. A stray lock of her hair tickled his cheek. Again, he enjoyed the faint, familiar aroma of her sweat. The sensations didn't tear at the old scars, quite the reverse. Her lips felt brand new, like a promise. The kiss had taken a single instant, but just touching her and breathing her had left him dizzy. Her eyes were unreadable. Oh, oh boy, I'm so completely sorry about that. I should go. Said Parsley. Or the other one, whatever it was called. All I wanted was to forget you, she said softly. And now I don't even remember why. He knelt and looked at the goats again. They didn't seem hungry anymore. Huh, he said. Anything? Kristen made the conversational switch effortlessly as he'd known she would. Anything I give them, whatever I don't want. Paul nodded, though the reason why he'd asked had already escaped him. Well, I'll see you. Not if I see you first, she said cheerfully. Odd that he'd dreaded coming round here for so long. As Paul slid into the driver's seat, he glanced up at the window of Kristen's third-floor apartment and frowned. From the Honda's glove box, he took out the notebook he wrote his gasoline purchases and mileages in and scribbled Kristen slash 3307 on the back page. Then, to be safe, he wrote the whole address. His fingers still felt silky against each other. 
He drove out the gate of the apartment complex. While he waited to turn onto the main road, he glanced over his shoulder. The Honda's back seat seemed surprisingly empty. Was this really all there was? Well, if he'd left something behind, he could always go back. And welcome back. So, magical goats who can eat things. Any things that you don't want in your life anymore. Wow, what would you feed them? One thing I definitely wouldn't let them eat is Norm Sherman's Drabblecast. It's one of my favorite podcasts for the morning commute. It can even make Mondays bearable. So I was very, very happy when Norm agreed to read this one for us. It was really great to hear him here. Okay, feedback for Podcastle episode 92. Garth Nix's Sir Hereward and Mr. Fitz go to war again. The epic story of a puppet and his, or her, night that rounded out Anne Lecky Month. A few people thought it was a bit too twisty and had perhaps too much exposition, but the majority of our listeners thought it was, to quote Scattercat, effing awesome. Game Crow said, I just can't say enough about how much the story pulled me in from the beginning. The little details that were mentioned but not dwelled upon giving us glimpses into the rest of the world without hammering us over the head with it. The gradual reveals to Hereward and Fitz's past so many interesting bits. I think they may be making a cameo appearance in my D&D campaign. Poppy Dragon said, Podcastle's trying to make it impossible to choose a best of 2010 story, as this and the two preceding it have already gone into an immediate top five position. There's some standard being set. I love the aspect of storytelling within this, a seemingly traditional quest-cause story but with a step sideways that makes it something really rather special. And Paranatural said, I find the idea of a boy sent out with no family except a wooden puppet to fulfill his mother's duties rather interesting. Has he been cursed by the witches to never find peace and only discover strife? Perhaps because of the strife he brought to their organization by being born? Overall, an excellent story, and I hope to perhaps hear more of Sir Hereward and Mr. Fitz. Would you, Paranatural? Would you indeed... Interesting. Thanks to everyone for those comments, and that wraps it up for this week. Thanks again for letting all of us here at Podcastle share another story with you. And if you're interested, you still have time to share your stories with us by entering our Flash Fiction Contest. Go to forum.escapeartist.net to find all the rules. Hurry and enter before the brain-sucking goats in the Podcastle stables eat all your stories. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. All the money goes toward paying our authors and keeping us up and running, and every single cent here is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in a week with a Nebula-nominated story by Saladin Ahmed. Until then, remember... Remember... I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh well. Matt! We'll see you all next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. 
You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Mark Twain said, It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so.